It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seabock.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of I.O. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our weekly gatherings of HR, IO, recruiters, and one actors. We try to make the world a little bit better. Uh, here we are in the world of work cookie. And today, um, I actually love this because we're gonna, today we're going to discuss mindfulness and mental resilience, nurturing employee well-being. And I kind of feel, Jeremy, like you know, there was a time when people were really actively recruiting for employees. There was a lot of talk about, you know, work-life balance and how we're in this new phase of where how we treat our employees is important. And it feels like it's been slipping over the last while. It feels more like organizations are more focused on the bottom line than on their employees. Is that what you're seeing out there as well? Or And if we just sort of slip back to pre-pandemic times where, you know, I remember <laughs> I remember after the 2008 uh, collapse and recession that after about a 10-year period, they had looked and seen that companies had rebounded. They had made up all the money they had lost, but employee wages had not, had not actually recovered. Matter of fact, they had gone up very little in that 10-year period. So, after the pandemic, when all of a sudden the personal well-being of our employees meant a lot, it does seem we're slipping back and we're caring less and less about those individuals who work in organizations. It's there's definitely either a shift. There's either a shift now or there's a shift coming. I think the how is really um, why companies may, if they are, are putting it on the back burner, and also the kind of the selling it to employees, especially when you look at mindfulness. I have some I have some information here. So I did put the, and they'll be in the show notes as well, some of the articles that we're looking at for today. So there's one here from McKinsey and Company. It's called Using Dig- Digital Tech to Support Employees' Mental Health and Resilience. And again, you know, we had our, our whole theme last week, last month was with AI. We can't get away from digital. We're not going to talk all digital today for sure. There's other research and other studies, but this so happens to have some pretty good stats. Um, more than half of the population, let me see what year. So this is from July of 21. More than half of the populations of middle and high income countries are likely to suffer at least one mental condition during their lifetime. Since the start of COVID-19, which you were talking about, Tom, 42% of employees globally have reported a decline in mental health. Symptoms of burnout are increasing among employees and leaders. So just a uh, not a disclaimer, but you guys get it. When we talk about industrial organizational psychology in the U.S., I think it's different in South Africa and some other countries. But in the U.S., we do we don't we don't practice mental health. We don't practice therapy. So I want to make that um, that clarification there. Anything that requires a mental health professionals, 
we would always refer out to if we're coaching, if we're working on development. So I just want to make that disclaimer. But at the same time, we do work on um, mental health, but not clinically, right? We might talk, we, you know, like we're talking about here, mindfulness, different practices. So mental health con- conditions in itself, uh, you know, whether it be just, you know, stress and anxiety, we're talking about workplace absenteeism, a decrease in being present, loss of productivity. This is staggering. WHO estimates that depression, anxiety disorders, and other conditions cost the global economy $1 trillion per year in lost productivity. And a trillion is a lot. I think it's something like if you take a, a dollar, like $1 and double it from the year zero every day to today, you still don't get to a trillion. That's a, a lot. <laughs> but, and Tom, you're always saying like, well, what's the payoff for companies? So I have my my special highlighted color for you in this, but the good news it says is that when you address employee well-being, it pays off. Meta-analysis show that for every dollar companies spend on wellness programs, their healthcare costs by appro- healthcare costs fell by approximately three point twenty seven three dollars and twenty seven cents, and absenteeism cost costs fell by um, two dollars and seventy three cents. So basically, you've got a what is it, like a two three uh, times return on an investment, which is how which is of course how we look at it. So there's there's different things that can be done just in terms of like digital now. So a lot of companies have things where you can easily go and they have these employee well-being tools where they can just do a quick video conference with a licensed mental health professional, for example, to work on things like cognitive behavioral therapy over video apps to to treat like depression and anxiety. And going back to that clarification, IO psychologist, we're not clinical. We don't work with depression, anxiety, those types of things. Right. Um, but overall, kind of as you mentioned before, here's a little quote. Uh, we are still at base camp in, break, in breaking the stigma. And that's from Jeff McDonald, a global advocate and campaigner for mental health issues, because there is still that stigma. It's not only outwardly, it's also inwardly. When you look at the studies, people take it takes a long time for people to actually get the support they need because they try to do it themselves. And they, 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 might try some meditation or they might try a self-help book or just talking to other people really ways that aren't going towards the professional help but there are things that companies can do and we'll get into that to help i mean we'll, we'll cover some studies today where nurses simply practicing mindfulness can really help with their ability to be productive to be um you know on it uh, for example, which is very much needed when when you're a nurse, Tom. Well, let me let me throw out a scenario for you because you know I, I I talk to a lot of people who are rather stressed right now because of the shape of the economy, uh, and and <laughs> we seem to get a lot of mixed messages. The economy is doing really well, but then on the other hand, the economy is not doing well, and we may have to cut some positions. So there's lots of organizations where people are right now a little bit stressed out about what the future holds in the organization. With a lot of these organizations, there may need to be cuts. And and I imagine a workplace where people are walking around stressed out, wondering if they're going to be the one. Or once those cuts are made, there still seems to be that tension hanging in the air. So can an IO come in and, and calm the waters? Can they get people, once again, focused on the positivities of work? Um, we may have unfortunately lost some people, but it's going to make us a stronger organization. Um, or do you just let your employees sort of sit in that quagmire of, am I next? Yeah, the communication piece is important. And as far as what IOs do, the change management piece is is huge in terms of what IOs can do, especially if that's their exact specialty. Right. So that change management, because a lot of people wonder, are we just doing change for, for the sake of change? And they get, they sometimes they get change fatigue, whether it's, um, you know, layoffs, as you're mentioning, restructuring. So that can definitely play a big part. But when you look at um, just, just a, a quick thing here on messaging employee, when you look at, when you look at change, and this is actually in the literature for today, positively worded um, justifications for change work very well. So kind of quick tip here if you're a leader in the workplace it's not hey if we if we make this change we won't have to deal with x anymore or this will decrease the headache of x if you word it positively um this will help us do this this will make your tomorrow better because of this 
if you word things positively during that communication, that helps immensely with the acceptance of particular change. But to go back to your original question, yeah, these are all things that can, it, it's interesting, right? Because if someone's facing a layoff or they have survivor's guilt, maybe their friends got laid off um, looking at the economy, it's a hard sell, the whole being mindful. Um, I'll read here a little quote, and then I'll turn it back to you because it looks like Lee has a comment. A recent review of literature finds that interve interventions to cultivate non-judgmental awareness of the present moment, including mindfulness-based stress reduction, improve nurses' well-being and overall work and life satisfaction. And what you're talking about, Tom, those factors can likely decrease well-being and overall work and life satisfaction if you're worried about the economy, worried about your job. So it can help. And evidence also suggests when you look at mindfulness, it enhances attentiveness and it actually keeps that potential, po that positivity. It actually helps, you know, with continued the practice of just something like mindfulness, like we're talking today. It's almost like willpower where it's a muscle. The more you work it, the more it is. And then, of course, people more interested in this kind of thing can look into positive psychology, uh, Fredrickson's broaden and build theory. But I'm going to turn it back over to you, Tom. Well, thank you much, Jeremy. And uh, Lee, let's go to you. Yeah, uh, it, it's really interesting because, you know, as Amani dropped in the in the chat, you know, we had a get together last night and we actually discussed this. And uh, so it was kind of kind of timely. Um, so much to unpack here because, you know, even all these years later, there's still not a real big understanding of mental health uh, or an acceptance of getting help. And, you know, people don't want to, at least, I mean, I can only speak for, you know, U.S. Western world kind of thing. But, um, you know, the the acceptance of, you know, that personally that I need to get help to being able to admit I need to get help and the, the potential for stigma of somebody else going, oh, you know, he's going to a psychologist, you know, and, you know, and, and especially like when I was in the military, especially like it was starting to change towards the end of my career where people were being encouraged actually to go seek therapy. And we had mechanisms uh, because I was worried, you know, oh, you're going to you're going to get you're going to be that guy and you're going to it's going to affect your career. It's going to put be put in your record and, and all that kind of stuff. And there were mechanisms put in place to kind of off the record by you know more or less so that that's not a thing and you know as we go forward and people start to figure this out like just the word mindfulness i bet you if you go out and you you ask man on the street you know a majority of the people you talk to are not going to know what mindfulness means. it sounds pretty woo woo to a lot of people and you know you, you start saying that and they're thinking of some yogi sitting on the side of a mountain somewhere and, and they don't understand it and they don't understand it's something that they can do and that it doesn't require much. I mean, you know, surprisingly enough, I have an app on my phone from the VA on mindfulness that I can log into anytime and it will give me, you know, some an exercise or something. So, if, you know, if I'm feeling a little stressed, I can whip out the old uh, the old phone which we're, that we're all tied to these days and actually get something for that. And I think that so that's a plus. I mean, plus we know, I mean, veteran suicide and all that. I mean, it's, it's a huge concern. Um, and also just within companies, as they start to realize that burnout and uh, stress and mental fatigue and all these things, they do contribute greatly to the bottom line. You know, absenteeism, turnover, uh, poor work performance. Um, you know, like right now, I could contact my boss and say, hey, I need to take a mental health day. And she'll just say, OK, see you tomorrow. And that's fantastic. You know, a lot of, you know, more and more organizations, I think, are getting there. Uh, I think kind of our challenge right now is in the economy being the way it is, and it's an employer's market. And so, you know, you don't like it here. There's a lot of people waiting to take a chair, and, and there's less of the motivation to really make that, you know, positive changes in, in your workplace. And uh, it's a shame because, I mean, we all know how much turnover costs and all that kind of stuff, and just the human toll that is often not considered in business decisions. It's, it's something. Well, let me ask you, Lee, because, you know, I could be an employer going, hey, you know what? I've got people in distress all over my organization, but it's not actually work. It's outside of work. It's that the world we live in right now is stressing everybody out. So as an employer, why should I be paying for that? Well, that's a great question. But as an employer, you are paying for that. You know, I mean, 
the the fact is we're whole life people now. See, I, I hate the term work life balance. You know, for me, it's life balance. You know, it looks different for everybody. And if your life is in balance, you know, I mean, maybe it's rainbows and butterflies. If it's not, you know, it's a terrible thing and it's going to affect every aspect of your life. It's going to affect your work. It's going to affect your personal. It's going to affect your sleeping. It's going to affect your cognition. I mean, everything is affected by that. And so, yeah, if one of my employees is having a, a bad time, I care on a human level. And because it's affecting, you know, my work center, it's affecting my team. And yeah, I should care about that because believe me, it's going to cost me a lot more if that guy's got to take a leave of absence or he quits or God forbid there's some, you know, violent episode or something, you know, yeah, you very much should care about that. And if I want to attract the best employees, I need to treat them like that. Um, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. How are the rainbows and butterflies in your world? Oh, they're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and if you believe that, I have a bridge I can sell you. <laughs> so Lee brought up some good points here, as he always does. You know, I think that if we went out and asked people to define mindfulness, you would get as many definitions as you would um, have people um, surveyed. So I think there's something to be said for that, that there is a lack of understanding of what that means, how it looks, what the potential um, for it is, the benefits. But, you know, I think that historically speaking, and although it is changing, but not fast enough, historically speaking, the individual human being has been so disposable to the faceless corporation that despite of the studies, despite of understanding the costs, despite of all of that, that is always so far on the list that so few corporations actually are proactive. We are much more likely to see an organization be reactive to something happening than being proactive. They would rather take the chance, save the money, make the buck, than be proactive because, unfortunately, I think people are seen as replaceable and oftentimes are maybe not consciously, but subconsciously thought of as robots, as machines. Give me as much as possible, produce as much as possible, and I don't really care about how that affects you. And so despite all of the advancements and improvements, it's gotten much better. We are still not where we need to be. So when we talk about corporations, I think it's important to consider that the buy-in has to happen at the top because you can have all the buy-in in the trenches that you want. But if the buy-in doesn't happen at the top, if the bottom line is profit, if shareholders make the decisions, then you're not going to see true lasting change. So this, is, this certainly is a, a worry for me as a human being and as a psychologist, because we're not there yet. And if there is some improvement in how employees are seen or treated during some kind of um, world shakeup, if you will, right? COVID, we've seen a a bit of a change there, uh, 2008, as you had mentioned, but it seems to go back. It seems to go back, maybe not all the way back, but it seems to go back. So I think the key is to work on getting buy-in from the very top. And I think as IOs, that's where we have our work cut out for us. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And (laughs) I wish I could get the C-suite to listen at times. Uh, I also find it a little ironic. You know, I love the movie Wall Street, and it's about how greed can corrupt and how greed, you know, is ultimately not good. But the only thing anyone remembers from the film is one line, greed is good. Michael Douglas, I have a problem with you. Uh, <laughs> you've changed the world, my friend. Uh, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot that, you know, there's unintended consequences all over the place. And unfortunately, with mental health, much like so many of the topics that we can take on, there's no one size fits everything solution. You know, somebody in production or, you know, frontline workers, auto workers, whatever, they're going to have a different set of issues than somebody in knowledge work or somebody who's part-time all these different factors we're, we're trying to hold it all together 
but we are going to have to zoom in on particular situations to see what is the environment, what is what is the cost to each of those situations, and you know what is what is ultimately the agreement between employer and employee. You know, if it is a cog in the machine, it's somebody at the register. They probably, you know, I would. I'm not thinking corporations are sitting there twisting their mustache, but at some point there is an expendability. There is a this is a low skill position, and we can find somebody to do it. Um, and so you're probably going to see this more with with knowledge workers who have demonstrated the ability to build relationships or they bring something very special to the table that the organization sees and needs or they won't miss it till it's gone. Um, but I think that there's a, you know, we, we talk about the stigma of mental health. You know, you talk about the definitions of mindfulness and getting a different answer from everybody. So if you don't understand the concept, you're going to go to, you know, the the cartoon stereotype of what it looks like. And I think that that cheapens it for what it is, but it also, you know, that makes it understandable. So if his executives see it as, oh, it's somebody deep breathing for five minutes, why am I paying for that? But the the impact of the, the autonomic response and everything that goes with it are of absolute value because they are going to you know, refocus, recenter, whatever they need to do um, in that. And so it just the the cartoon enemy that they have uh they may not have a real picture and i think even more troubling to my mind is the the higher emotional burden that you get the higher up the ladder you know a good business owner cares about the people that they have and you've got to weigh the you know i've got somebody facing these struggles and i want to help them on a human level but i don't have the resources to do so without dragging myself down with them and so there's there's a balance there. And I think the mindfulness practices and the, the intentionality that come with them almost would have more benefit the higher up you go, because if somebody's thinking two, three steps ahead, because they are taking the time to, to be in the moment or whatnot, that's, that's where the most traction would get. So again, we're trying to get buy-in from the top and these are the people who feel the most busy and, and all of that. So it's, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander uh, on that respect. And it would be great if everybody did it, but we really do have to demonstrate the dollar value as well as those second, third, fourth, fifth kind of ripples in the pond as to, to what this can do for the organization, for productivity, and for society as a whole. I'm old. Uh, and, and I'm wondering about, you know, how are CEOs trained? Like, you know, I, I come from a world where we want that division between myself as a CEO and the frontline employees because my concern is the bottom line. So... I'm, uh, how do we encourage CEOs to actually get to know their employees and to care about them when it sort of feels like since the Industrial Revolution, that has been, you, you don't do that. You, you stay separate from them because this is an organization and, you know, quite frankly, they're replaceable pawns. It, I mean, it's a fairly, fairly dark view of it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's absolutely truth to it. You know, if you talk about metrics and production and, and all those things that are measurable, that are easy to see, you know, that's that's really great, you know, to, to show off. But I think if, if there's one thing that I would say could fix it is, you know, the CEO isn't running the company per se, but they're the stewards and they have to, to consider all stakeholders. So if there's more of a stewardship model, then, okay, I have my stockholders, I have my managers, I have my frontline employees. What is, what is the value there? It does. It's a big ask to say, you know, look at the whole picture and care about every part of it. And that does, again, put a, a great emotional burden on owners and, and leaders in that way as well. But if they're, yeah, I mean, I, I would assume benevolence is as much as I can. Um, and I don't I don't know that it's not being taught, but I don't know that it's being rewarded out in the wide world just yet. But there, there's more of it. It's part of the changes that are coming. Oh, I'm hoping. Uh, Richard, let's go to you. Yeah, I, one of the things I, I I want to talk about just, I've, I've talked to some business owners, you know, in my time in consulting, right? And there are some business owners and some CEOs that really do care about the mental health of people, right? And so they do offer in their, um, in their benefits packages, they do offer access to, um, you know, mental health resources. Um, and sometimes the thing is people don't, either don't, care enough to look up, look for them or they don't um um they don't use them fully right um and then sometimes there's also this lack of communication and kind of internal marketing about some of those things that are available um 
I did put some a research article in the in the chat there um, that uh, does talk about uh, you know a, a, an, a study that shows that um, uh, online mindfulness um training now there's this one actually looks at live and pre-recorded uh training and and how it has demonstrated uh the effect to reduce stress uh within the workplace which and so we have here you know uh, a, a group of people that have actually gone through that you know that I want to say treatment, but, uh, you know, they, they've gone through the program, right, to uh, to under to um, reduce their stress through that. And so obviously there, you know, there, there's a workplace that, that that is supporting that. I'll say that I've had I've worked for several different employers. I've consulted several different companies. I didn't realize that such a thing existed within the organization until I did some personal digging. Right. Um, and I'll tell you that, like the the healthcare uh the insurance company that we have um you know they they not only offer online training but they also offer you know um online live training as well as online pre-recorded like even stuff like CBT which is like I always thought you actually had to go to a professional for that now there's there are actual you know sequenced uh um programs you can go through so uh you know I I think part of this the the organizations need to kind of figure out what what can we offer to people and then and how can we offer to them and then communicate all of that so that i think they're that uh some organizations do a great job of this and they check in on their employees and they do you know they, they do say you know check out this and check out that you know i, I worked for a, comp- a, a retail company that did that every month you know here's a list of the resources we have available for you to you know to do um and they've used sharepoint and you know those types of things um but the ones that offer this type of stuff but don't communicate it um you know it's i think it's you know it's 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 going to be a cultural shift for them so you know i think uh um consultants in io uh you know um can help to make those that kind of cultural change um to bring that uh you know those those types of resources if they're available to light and if they're not available to help you know um influence you know that that within the organization so uh, i'd love to ask you richard as a consultant you know mm-hmm. let's say i'm a business owner and i've decided i want to make that shift and i'm going to bring you into the organization to help propel that along mm-hmm. how much can you and i rely on my hr department to help you know this switch change and how much is it <laughs> I see a few people's reactions on me saying HR should deal with this. Um, and and when do I need to bring in an IO psychologist to work with that HR department? Well, I mean, uh, there's there's lots of different change models, right? I just went through the Drucker School and and uh, you know learned a lot about uh, organizational development and change management, right? Um, almost almost uh, ubiquitously. In, in change models, right? You need to have a guiding coalition. That's it's Cotter, right? So don't, if you don't like Cotter, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> uh, but you know, you, getting getting stakeholders to support that, and and those stakeholders aren't just like the people from above, right? I mean, these are people across various departments that that have influence. Um, I think you need to have that. If that doesn't exist within the organization, then yeah, you you know you may need to bring some somebody who's an SME from outside of the organization to help uh, you know bring that along. So that, that you know, there's your your um, IO consultant uh, right there. Thank you very much for that, Dr. Martha. Let's go back to you. Nick brought up an important point for us to consider in that there is no one size fits all solution for this, as is the reality for many things in life. So if we have organizations implementing things, it can't be done without professional guidance of someone like an I.O., because while there may be things that are available online um, some people may not do well with that. Some people may need a one-on-one. Offering something does not mean that it will be equally helpful to the person who is stressed out versus to the person who is in full-blown burnout mode. 
Uh, those are two very different needs at that point. So we have to be very careful with promoting products and services and selling them uh, to organizations or even implying to organizations that that's all you need to do, check off that checkbox, and now you have something to offer to your people, regardless of whether or not they make it known or promote it or encourage people to use it. It may or may not be the appropriate tool for all of their employees. So this is a complex situation and it requires a complex solution. So we have to be very mindful of that. Just because we have apps and they're fine, there's a time and a place for that. Just because we have online things does not mean that that's going to be okay for everybody. Listening to um, someone tell you what to do or watching a video may work for some people, but others really need that one-on-one -on -one interaction with a professional, not an actor, sorry, Tom, not an actor, but an actual professional whose job it is to focus on the issues at hand. So I want to bring that up because Nick mentioned it and I thought, you know, this is really important. Yeah. And as actors, we're smart enough to actually go to professionals <laughs> because we'll just mess things up. Uh, Dr. Pam, welcome to Work Cookie. Let's go to you. Thanks, Tom. So I want to add on to something that Rich um, was talking about the, the corporate world. Um, I'm, I worked in HR. I absolutely agree. HR is not always there for you, but there's, um, what's the word I want? Um, brick walls that HR also goes up against. And what I specifically want to hit on what Rich was talking about is frontline supervisor and the manager. CEO can support, make sure all, there's all kinds of cool programs. Um, but if that supervisor manager don't believe in it, don't have the training or the education to really understand, it goes nowhere because they're the ones that really uh, influence and keep an eye on the employee. And that's where it's really important to be authentic in asking that employee, how are you today? And not just that cultural aspect of, you know, being polite and, you know, saying hello. It's actually being truly interested in, in how the employee is because the, the supervisor, the manager is going to be the arbiter of how that employee deals with their mind, mindfulness, how they're able to be uh, resilient, use their own resilience and, and push back against that burnout. Because if that manager and supervisor is not there to um, uh, filter a lot of that stuff, employees just going to tank it. So this is, you know, personal experience plus you know, all reading, research, and in discussions with with others. And and do you find this true as well? Because we've often chatted about how someone can be an incredible team player. Uh, they do their job really well. All of a sudden, there's an opening, so we promote them into a leadership position. We just don't actually train them to be a leader. So, so yes. have we gone now through like decades? Of, there's a huge gap now because nobody's trained. Yeah. No, I, I agree, Tom. And and that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves. Me too. All right, Nick, let's go to you. Yeah, I think that it's been touched on a couple of times, but if you're going to use these tools for, for mental well-being, uh, for training mindfulness as well, somebody's got to do the digging and make sure that it's successful, that it, it that it works, that you're not, you know, trying to peddle some sort of snake oil for, for your organization. Uh, because somebody who is new to trying to take on some of these challenges, if they have a bad experience, they're probably not going to go back and that's going to do more damage in the long run um, than not doing anything. Um, and to muddy the waters even further, I think when you talk about mental health, you can go into different scenarios. We talk about stress and burnout because that's the most common topic in workplaces. But, um, you know, grief is another sort of big, big scarring thing that can can bring up a lot of things and there's no timetable for, for somebody to return and you may get somebody who's like, I want to work because I want to forget about this thing that's hurt, hurting in the background. Um, and whether that's good for them or not is really up to them. And at what point, you know, do we start classifying? Okay, well, the workplace causes stress and anxiety. So we're going to go here and, and solve this problem. And that's, that's our obligation as an organization to our employees is to mitigate any damage that we do 
we're so sorry for your loss, but we didn't cause that. So, uh, you know, you're going to have to go elsewhere for help. It's, you know, if you start talking about those different flavors, again, what is the organization's responsibility to their people? Um, and hopefully, again, I do firmly believe that a majority of organizations want to be good to their people. Um, but with the amount of litigation and uh, minefields that have to be navigated with some employment law, like they, they may have their hands tied one way or another. I'd have to do a, a deeper dive into to what that looks like um, and how far out can you really chain the, the causality from from one to the other. So I think there's, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to defend organizations because that's always the harder part of the conversation rather than individuals, uh, because we want everybody to thrive on that narrow scope. Um, but again, if the organization goes under, then how many people are impacted by that as well? Well, you don't have to defend them. They have lawyers. Um, <laughs> but let me ask you, because I, I have heard that there's a few organizations out there who are doing things like hiring psychologists so that if their employees need to talk to somebody, you know, there's somebody there on site, or if they're not on site, you know, they're connected with someone who's, you know, five minutes away. Do you think that's a trend we should see in more and more organizations? I certainly hope so. I think that having, you know, people on call or on retainer for those situations that immediately jump out of your depth, you know, go to the expert. That's kind of what we talk about. You know, if your organization needs help with change, come to an IO. If somebody's dealing with, you know, any sort of, you know, negative self-talk or, you know, these things that, you know, can really impact them long-term, not just at the workplace. Yeah, we should be able to send them there. And also, you know, how hard is it to to build that toolbox, to build that collection of resources and even further get people to use them and use them correctly? Right. Well, thank you very much for that. Nick, Lee, let's go to you. You know, that's, that brings up a, 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 an interesting and important uh, point. You know, it's it's great, you know, if you got you know, doctor, you know, whoever down the hall and, you know, in, in the, in the counselor's office, you know, that's great. But so there you got, you got to manage that properly because for one, there's got to be the understanding and the, the reassurance and the sharing and whatever else of this truly is a service. And it's, it's, uh, just totally blank in the world. Confidential. That's what I'm looking for, that I'm not going to go see the doctor and the doctor's going to turn around and call my supervisor because there's going to be a natural fear that that's going to happen. And, you know, and, and, you know, and the doctor can say, Hey, look, I'm bound by, you know, my license and law and everything else that I have to keep this as, you know, confidential, you know, but it's got to be understood that that's the case. And then there's also the, the stigma aspect of it. You know, if I see, you know, like, like Nick talking, if I see Nick going into the counselor's office, you know, what, what is the impression there? Is it, Oh boy, you know, next in the counselor's office again, you know, so you have to you have to manage that uh, that visual and the expectation across your organization. Um, there are and and I think it's great that we do that's a possibility, but you got to do it correctly. I mean, like the organization my wife works for has an employee resource line that you can call and, and talk to a licensed counselor, and it is completely anonymous. The only thing the organization gets is this many people called this month. That's all they get. They don't they don't. You know, they don't have names. They don't have all they know is, you know, five people called. I mean, to the point that literally somebody else could call and say, I work for this organization and they would talk to them because there's no verification. That's I mean, it's that uh, it's that, you know, secure, I guess. I don't know where to look for. Um, but, you know, this this is a huge management thing across the board because, I mean, we've been in, in, you know, to tie all this, you got to have the tie, you know, you got to buy have the buy in from the top. Um, you got to have the buy-in from the middle, you know, whatever that takes. And then in your, if you are the, the, you know, the, the person, the leader, the supervisor, the manager, you know, this is where it is so incumbent upon you to actually pay attention to, to know your people. You know, this goes back to the old concept of management by walking around, you know, um, and that's from CEO on down. I mean, I've worked for organizations where the CEO would come by my desk and say, hey, how's it going? Uh, and of course, the first couple of you know, can I answer this question? Uh, I, you know, uh, and, and but the CEO knew who I was. And, and you know, and, and there's 500 some odd people at this organization. CEO knew all of them. And, and maybe not the remote, you know, the ones in other locations as well. But if you worked in the main office, he knew who you were and, and he would stop by. And the managers all knew that he would stop by and talk to you. And of course, then they're like, what do you say? <laughs> so you have, you have to manage that as well. But 
you know, I need to know my people. And so I need to know, you know, if Joe seems like he's having a bad day, you know, I need to know where there's a, uh, you know, is there something going on that I can help with? Do you need some time? But you also have to be, you know, be careful with that about the, uh, you know, how much you can pry. I mean, as someone said about the laws and everything else, this is one of the biggest things in my military to civilian transition. Because military, you know, we own you 24-7. I can tell you to go get see the counselor. I can direct it. And it's expected. And you better do it. But in the civilian world, if I tell one of my people, I think you should go see a counselor, guess who's going to HR? It ain't them. So you got to be very, very careful when you walk that line. And so there's definite ways you have to approach that to where you can be that caring person. You can be that supportive person. You can, you know, do these things, but you have to be very, very careful how you approach it because of, the, you know, I mean, you're going to get hemmed up legally and end up unemployed or, you know, at best, and uh, or you're just going to end up with a lot of drama and you got to be very careful with that. Uh, but that said, don't let that stop you. If there's a crisis, take care of the crisis. By God, people people have to come first. <laughs> um, uh, let me ask you, because I'm a little interested in the differences between countries uh, and work cookie. I think Jeremy last time said it was we're now being downloaded in over 100 countries. Um, and I know up here in Canada that most corporations, most institutions have a employee health program. And it seems to become sort of standard where it's usually, you know, if you want to talk to a registered psychologist, uh, you can get something like five sessions for free, which is never enough. But um, do they have a similar, is it sort of standard down in the United States as well that you get sort of that three to five, it's not going to cost you anything, go see a psychologist? I see some head shaking. So I'll assume it is fairly standard. Um, yeah, it depends on your coverage. Okay. Yeah, it's EAP, Tom. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> North America, we're doing good. Uh, and Manny, let's go to you. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay. Thank you. Um, first of all, uh, in my presentation, my points are all over the place, but I'll try my best. Um, I would like to say that um, organizations should obviously care because um, workplace trauma is real. Yeah. And um, just with me trying my best to humanize this po my, my point, so my conversation right now, then I would also like to say organizations, regardless of how much they need to care, they need to also be careful what kind of they say, because we are not trying to run a circus within organizations. We're not trying to have therapy sessions within organizations, you know. And uh, when we're not describing that well within organizations, and if you're not even using the help of, of IO psychologists, I'll be blunt on that, to help you balance all that, we are going to end up seeing things like, I'll give an example, things like um, empathy, toxicity within workplaces from the employee side, you know. And uh, a bit of to empathy toxicity is when, you know, um, you're not empathetic enough to do what I feel like or what I expected of you to do for me as an employee, then, you know, I'll, I'll go into the whole striking mode with my own emotions and stuff. Then my whole perspective be changed about organization and then um, so on and so on. So when we mention mindfulness, it's, it's more like self-care and it's different for everyone. So we cannot really... Cut, we cannot really cut across for everyone when you say mindfulness, practice, you know, mindfulness, breathing and stuff. Or we cannot even introduce a particular a particular way of how all employees can really, because if you want to really catch up with that, still it will take us back to us kind of having therapy sessions. Because now we are seeing us bringing, you know, therapists or even other people who qualify within the mental world, mental health world, to really, um, really tackle on this situation. But to me, I'll, I'll also give another example. It's more like when you're watching your child grow, when your child falls down, you're learning how to walk, they fall down. If you notice, if you keep telling your child's story, they'll cry. But when you kind of like me in my toxic world where I come from, my collective community, they will look at you and then look away and then you dust off and keep moving. So the more we kind of like keep aiding this whole situation of oh mindfulness, we should have, you know, uh, workers, I mean, therapists in here or any other kind of professional post within the mental world. It is the more um, we're going to get to the extreme end 
of empathy. And when we get to more to the extreme end of empathy, we have a problem because there's a thin line between the extreme end of empathy and then the extreme end of ego, ego, of our egos as human beings. I guess the therapist or whoever is in mental health will understand what I'm talking about. So extreme extreme end of one either ego, we end up having narcissistic people. And then on the other end, we end up having um, uh, people who are low self-esteem, not confident, and then still self-doubt and stuff and all that produces. So we need to stay in the middle. And how do we stay in the middle? Is by also practicing, having a common ground, which is going to be resilience within organizations. So when when we say how do how do organizations come in here with with all these things we need to kind of like be careful on how we are trying to articulate um the wellness of us as employees within organizations so that we don't um just give me a minute things that we need to talk about again so like give me a minute so we have what i kind of listened to dr martha's podcast this morning or the other morning whereby he's, she said we have to equip ourselves on all levels from top down, not just equipping the leaders, but then also equipping the employees themselves. Finding balance is a skill everybody should be having. Everybody should be having the, you know, the balance not to be blown away because we're going to have um, organizational organizational um, trauma. But most of these things are driven by emotions because obviously, you know, um, Emotions drive people and then people drive performance. But then if we have people who are equipped with, with resilience, if we have like um, emotional intelligent uh, leaders, employees too, we can find balance in how we really, we really communicate with each other. We can really look out for things like really the things that really um, encounter on people's ego, things like our demeanor, in a demeanor how we talk to each other, our wording, our actions, our tones towards each other because communication after all at the end of the day is what really affects us all. So my whole trauma within US, me working in workplaces, is somebody just trying to belittle me, talk down on me, my accent being the the indicator of my intelligence. And they and I've just I just came out of a meeting with one of my supervisors. And they just don't know. They just don't know you. And they have the whole authoritative kind of talk. They cannot come down to just have that whole empathy leadership within organizations. So we are all going in with leaders. Like we're training leaders. Yes. We also, one thing I also like to point out, as much as we're training leaders, yes, we've said we have the operational leaders or my managers, and then we're trying to make leaders. But then we are having something else that is coming up. In much as we are training leaders, we're having participatory leadership coming up within organization, whereby we are training them all how to be leaders, how to be leaders. We're giving them this, I've seen the cheat sheets going on on LinkedIn. And when I read in within one of the cheat sheets on how to give feedback to employees, it literally blew my mind. Even up to now, I don't know how to find the right words to post on LinkedIn without offending people. Because the I and you effect, as in almost everybody right now knows the I and you effect in communicating. When you keep saying that you, 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 you kind of like, what? Poking on it. So the whole cheat sheet had that you, when you did this yesterday, you offended your, your teammates. They don't feel well. I mean, you are offending your teammates. So I'm like, as a leader, as of using the you, 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 and then you're speaking for teammates. Why don't you just take it back to the organization? This is against the organization policies and stuff. But when you say you offended your teammates, and then him, he has like six people in the teammates who are telling him, yeah, yeah, that, that was a good behavior, then trust is going to be broken. You don't even, the connection is going to be broken in this, in this um, employee you're trying to do a corrective behavior with. So in as much as we have leaders, we are training them. The middle ground is IO psychologists. We are not going to go all the way having therapy sessions. I'm going to be blunt on that. I've been in mental health. I myself, I'm an emotional support counselor. I am on a speed dial of emotions every after 15 minutes. I have to change in the role in a way how I support my clients. I'm going to have one grieving. I'm going to have another crying over relationships. I'm going to, and that's within 15 minutes. So finding balance in how we can be able to transact in these fast workplaces is all of us equipping ourselves to, to, to get back to the middle ground of having resilience. If everybody's work, it's going to be employees' work. 
from the top down also, just like how Dr. Martha said in her podcast, is everyone's work to find that middle ground of resilience so we don't fall back in terms of putting the blame, so much blame. Yes, we know organizations have done so much. We are in the era of us, all of us being damaged and we are correcting it. But organizations need to understand right now you're like that person who has been in a broken relationship, you're vulnerable. So if you're going to be taking advantage of people trying to bring in sessions within organizations, when you find a middle ground to really have performance, to really go forward with things that are going to be profit-driven within organizations. If everybody's going to be offended, people need to find a thin line between being offended or they should even have the skills equipped themselves to be able to move up, to move on. Should they really go away from giving this these as incentives in their packages? No. If somebody's saying they're gonna go for free uh therapy sessions and stuff, they'll find time to go for that. But we should find a middle ground on how we can keep all of us in how we can have our words going around action, tone and demeanor. Tone and demeanor. I can have a whole full-blown conversation with you with just my tone and demeanor and we will go off mad at each other. And I'll tell my neighbor, did you see how she treated me? And my neighbor will be like, how? But we just had a full conversation between me and you and we are mad at each other just with our demeanor and with a non-verbal communication, like facial expression. So when we learn how to control all those, that will be beautiful in how we execute our work. And only an I or psychologist can find that middle ground because we have the scientific end of us. We have the, the behavioral side of us, you know, and then middle ground is just an I or psychology. If they just want to dodge bullets with things like toxic, I mean, empathy, toxicity, as an example. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much, Manny. And I love your accent, by the way. Uh, and I love accents generally. Um, but Jeremy, <laughs> but Jeremy, you know, she does make a great point about balance because I, I was recently talking to someone working in an organization and being respectful, you know, became sort of the catch phrase. But it's, it kind of evolved into like you couldn't criticize anybody, you couldn't criticize their project or you got labeled as you're mean, you're a mean person um, and we're sending you to HR. Um, and it, it sort of got down to the point where you couldn't talk about things. You, know, you you couldn't actually be critical and go, maybe this isn't the best way. So, you know, once again, and once again here, it was not being led by an IO psychologist. So it's a little bit like giving a loaded weapon to a three-year-old sometimes. So how do we find that balance? Is, is this something that organizations can jump in and at least initiate on themselves? Or, man, we really need to get an IO psychologist because this could go wrong in so many ways. Yeah, with what you're saying, it's almost like like social norms. And we're talking about an entire like the the culture of the organization. You know, we can parallel this this thing when we're talking about either communication, effective communication, whether it be the supporting the like the the mental health and the mindfulness, or even coaching. You know, a, an organization can say, okay, we're going to get our employees some some life coaches or some business coaches. And it's just it's just there. Or there's an organization who can say, all right, we're going to have a coaching culture within the organization who really body, you know, we embody this, we we value this. And there is in this um in this reference that we have for today as we finish up here, this is the uh, McKinsey and Company article. They they break it down into three stages of approaches for supporting mental health. And you can really take mental health and cross that out and put it to anything because you have fragmented, integrated, or embedded. And you're basically going from something to to something. So in this case, with the resilience and the mental health, you're going, you look at ambition and strategy, you're moving from, okay, we have an initiative. It's a little patchy. It's a little local. There's nothing really to it. Two, one that's embedded in the organization's culture where initiatives are centrally defined, agreed on, and they cascade throughout departments, throughout different what would have been silos, and through different levels of, um, of employees as well. And I'll mention one more thing. You might have um, like KPIs, right? You go from fragmented, so you've got a little local tracking, not really any centra centrally agreed upon definitions and processes, and you move all the way to define KPIs agreed on and they're integrated into business reporting and all that. I mean, this is directly for mental health and resilience. And you can take that and you can move it over to, um, you could talk about that in terms of coaching, really any type of organizational initiative. But to finish up, uh, just to finish up with some 
some key points. This is from a study of relationship between workplace spirituality, mental well-being, and mindfulness. Just to go over some of the um, uh, definitions and some of the, the 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 benefits and the challenges of not incorporating this. So basically, when you look at mindfulness, it's defined. Many people define it different ways, but it's defined here as paying attention in a particular way on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. Long, long time ago, I had a philosophy course and I had a part of it was on mindfulness and it got down to, look, if you're washing dishes, pay attention to that. Look at the soap suds. How do they feel? You're just completely in that actual moment and you are present. And one of the things that this does, Tom, and I go all the way back to the beginning when you were mentioning about stress of potential job layoffs, uh, stress of economy and those kinds of things. When we worry, we have the we start to have these ruminating thoughts. Worrying is basically when we it's the opposite of visioning, which is positive and futuristic thinking, but it's also kind of gone amok. And we've got this biofeedback response, right? So there might be anxiety, which leads leads to worry, which leads to leads to more thought, which leads to more anxiety, and you've got this loop. In order to break that, we've got to break that biofeedback loop, and one way to do that is through mindfulness. Because you can't, if, if you're focusing on on one thing, even if you basically, if you were to start doing math problems, you know, look out your window and start to categorize different things, describe them, that's just one easy way to break it in the moment. That alone can help reduce stress, tension in the moment for some of those acute challenges that we face. And we look at mindfulness interventions. I mean, that's really breaking that biofeedback loop. And you have interventions like yoga, meditation, and, and breathing that can really help. I was talking to a friend over the weekend. He listens to some podcast, which I can't remember what it was. The guy that in the podcast, he's, I mean, huge. He's been on like everything, right? He said, if you breathe, take 30 deep breaths in the morning, middle of the day and at night, it'll completely change your lives, change your life. And I've been trying that. And I've actually started to make it a habit. Whenever I just have a moment to stop and think, I'll actually start taking deep breaths. So I got to get to up to 30 is a lot. (laughs) <laughs> it, it takes a long time. It doesn't seem like a lot, but when you do it, it's a long time, especially for deep breaths. Um, but here I want to add some added things. Mindfulness interventions have been found to impact a number of activities that include academic concentration, me- uh, memory, perceptual sensitivity, empathy, and self-esteem, can improve the immune system, decrease anxiety. The absence of mindfulness leads to us engaging in defensive mechanisms, which shuts off the problem centers of our solving centers of our brain, a refusal for us to attend to a thought or, or an emotion, going back to old habit, out habits, making poor assumptions, and allowing those poor assumptions, assumptions to guide our behavior and decision making. So that it also being mindful also increases creativity, healthier interpersonal relationships, adeptness in communication, confidence, emotional intelligence. So we can just see, we can see the benefits and pulling it all together. Everyone did a great job today of what do we do? How do we do it? And talking about the, you know, leading from the top and some very specific situations, but all in all, it's about how do we decrease the stigma? How do you get it? If you're going to work on this in your organization or lead some kind of initiative to make it move from, you know, a a fractional, um, type of initiative to one that's actually embedded fully into the organization. Tom? Well, I, I love what you said about breathing. And I always, you know, as a speech coach, I always found it incredibly insightful that when we breathe out, it's expiration, but when we breathe in, it's inspiration. So <clears throat> that really does feature creativity. So once again, thank you very much, Jeremy. Once again, another great discussion. Um, and I just want to echo what Amani said. Dr. Martha, your videos are Great. Um, so thank you very much for providing those. And um, tell us briefly where we can find that. So I have a podcast called Workplace Psychology with Dr. Martha Greidek. It's on all of the major platforms, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Apple. And you can also find it on my YouTube channel, which is Stress-Free with Dr. G. And you will find uh, stress management uh, videos on there as well. So I invite you to check it out. And you can find uh, Lee and get together with the um, IO Psychology pop-ups and all those meetings that he is conducting as well. And Dr. Jeremy, what is CBOC got happening? Yeah, so coming up, we've got the, we have an IO job seeker meetup totally open to the public. Those are every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we have that coming up on Monday. Next week on the 12th is the Rocky Mountain U.S. region, IO Psychology meetup. And all these can be found at 
cbock.com slash events. And then for our podcast discussion next week, positive psychology at work, cultivating flourishing teams. Oh, that would be a wonderful world. <laughs> um, and the holidays are coming up. We're in the holiday season. So happy holidays to everyone. Uh, Jeremy, we're probably going to take a break with the Work Wiki podcast over the Christmas break. Yeah, I don't have calendar on, but yeah, I would imagine for Christmas. Actually, I'm not sure because actually we're loaded because uh, if Christmas is on Monday. We've got that in the following Thursday. Good to go. So it looks like we're still planning on on having those. Great. Well, I expect everyone to be wearing their Christmas sweater for that podcast. <laughs> the ugliest one you can find even better. And with that, Jeremy, I think it's probably a good time to go. <laughs> so Counting out, everyone. Love it. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At Seabock.com. <laughs> <laughs>